0: You're listening to The Zen Courses Show, and this is episode 19. Welcome to The Zen Courses Show, the show for online course creators who care about building actionable, meaningful, and profitable online courses. If you're a solo entrepreneur, tech geek, or creative, The Zen Courses Show is the place to get expert advice for creating your online course, overcoming overwhelm, and growing a balanced business to get the full experience sign up at zencourses.co where you'll get access to free lessons resources and more again that's zencourses.co hey 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 It is your host, Janelle. Thank you for tuning in this week. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to bring this episode to you. Before we get into the interview itself, I thought I would tell you just a little bit, just a little bit about this episode. I am interviewing Caleb Wojcik. For those of you who don't know Caleb, he is basically the go-to person when I have questions about video. Caleb covers. I mean, he knows everything. He's a videographer. He knows everything from shooting and editing video. And we talk about that. We talk about his tips about, or his tips for shooting and editing video. And we also get into how he created his courses and some of the challenges that he had, not just creating the course, but his own challenges with learning how to shoot video. And then We really dig into some things that you might not hear anywhere else, like how to create video for screen recordings, you know, if you're not doing a talking head video, how to really make screen recordings stand out. So I'm excited to share this with you. Just um, a little heads up, I recorded this with Caleb over the holidays and I had the flu. So you're going to hear a little bit of scratchiness, sorry about that. And you're also going to hear some references to some holiday food. And I don't apologize for that because I love pie and everyone should love pie. All right, let's get into it. What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to The Zen Courses Show. Today, I am super excited to chat with the DIY video guy himself, Caleb Wojcik. Caleb is the former co-founder of Fizzle.co, a filmmaker And basically the go-to guy for your video questions. He runs his own film studio where he shot video for the likes of Pat Flynn and Amy Porterfield. And he's just released a new course, which we're going to dig into. Caleb, welcome to The Zen Courses Show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me here.
0: So is there anything you want to add to that intro? Can you tell us a bit more about yourself and the work that you do?
1: Yeah, uh, so... I mainly focus on videos for the web. I use the word word filmmaker loosely because I didn't go to film school. I have a business background, worked in corporate finance. I have an MBA. And then I fell into this world of running online businesses, teaching people different things. And I started with personal finance, got into entrepreneurship, ended up leaving my corporate job to work with Corbett Barr over at Fizzle. And While I was there, I got really into videos, video production, and we were making a lot of courses and uh, filming interviews to go inside of Fizzle. And I just really got excited about making videos. And so I spent a lot of my free time learning video settings for my camera and proper filming techniques and lighting and sound and all that kind of stuff. And then I eventually started DIY Video Guy to give some of that back, to teach what I've learned, and to keep pushing myself to learn more. And that's where my courses live right now.
0: Very cool. So, well, before we get into your courses, and I've got some some fun questions for you. Where are you from, Caleb? Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, Originally, I grew up in northern Michigan, a small okay. town called Petoskey. I went to Michigan State University for college. Then after college, I moved to Seattle and lived there for three and a half four years. And for the last four years, I've lived in San Diego, California with my uh, wife because she's originally from here. So we moved back to the sun after living in the clouds for a while.
0: <laughs> okay, very nice. So let's have some fun. I've got five quick questions for you to help people get to know you a bit. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Okay, early bird or night owl?
1: Definitely early bird. I just stop functioning at nighttime.
0: <laughs> What's your cutoff time for, for functioning?
1: Uh, My wife always (laughs) says it's earlier than I say it is. I say after about 10 is when I'm done. She says nine (laughs) is when I start my process for falling asleep.
0: Fair enough. What is one thing you do each morning to start your day off right?
1: I drink a huge glass of water and that's probably not that exciting, but it helps me wake up and And it used to be taking a shower was the thing that would help me wake up. I was really on that. But now I just shower after the gym. And so I don't shower first thing in the morning. But the glass of water is kind of like a little mini shower for me to wake up. You're
0: the first person to say water. I love that. Most people are like, coffee, coffee, coffee. You're like, I drink a glass of water. I love it. Cool. So if you had an all-expense-paid trip to record the first Mars Expedition, but it meant you couldn't return to Earth for two years or take family members with you, would you go? Yes. (laughs) There was some hesitancy there.
1: I would wait a really long time to tell my wife that I decided (laughs) to do that. We've actually talked about this Mars expedition thing and how mad she would be if I applied for it, but you put it in the stipulation (laughs) that I would come back in two years, so I could probably negotiate that.
0: Yeah, I was taking into consideration that you do have a wife and a cute little dog there, so you <laughs> got to come back. Okay, so because Thanksgiving is upon us, next question, cake or pie? Which side of the spectrum are you on?
1: Definitely cake, but it has to have ice cream. And if it is <laughs> ice cream cake, then that's even better. I'm starting to like pie a little bit more, um, like berry pies and cobblers and things. Not not a huge pumpkin pie person.
0: Okay. We'll just agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Last one. What has been your your most pivotal moment as an entrepreneur thus far?
1: Oh man, I think if I, if it had to be one thing that kind of set everything else up in motion, it would probably be starting to blog. Because if I would have never started blogging, then I wouldn't have started meeting people online and and seeing what was possible. And then I wouldn't have gotten connected with Corbett and worked at Fizzle and gone on to do stuff there. So I would say if I never would have, you know, bought a domain, installed WordPress and started writing about something, then then I wouldn't be where I am now.
0: Yeah. And that's actually a great answer because it's a good transition into my next question. So, how does a Midwestern guy who I think did you work at Boeing? Is that where you were?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, after college, I worked at Boeing.
0: So, how does a Midwestern guy who works at Boeing become this online entrepreneur who just has this great lifestyle and independent business?
1: Uh, what was very, your journey? Very, very long journey. Uh, I've I graduated high school about eleven years ago, and right when I started college. I was the kid that went to the the all the different colleges within the within the university. So they would have this fair where the communication arts college would have a a table you could go see the law school, the business school, sciences, uh, political science, and I would walk to every table as this eighteen-year-old kid that had no idea what he wanted to do with his life and look at the pamphlets and say, "Okay, what could I be if I if I went to?" this major and I had this minor, like what career prospects would I have and all that kind of stuff. And I was super calculated about what I chose when I was in college. So I majored in supply chain management because at Michigan state, it was either number one or number two every single year. So I knew that I could easily get a job in that through the recruiters that came to campus. So that was my calculated decision. And then my other bachelor's degree that I got at the same time was telecommunications and I did things like video production, audio production, web, uh, computer animation, things like that. And that those are the things that I was really passionate about. But I didn't put a ton of effort into them when I was in school because I just didn't think I could get a career in that. Because all I'd heard was it's so hard to make a living in Hollywood or in television or as an artist. And so I, I chose the safe path of getting a bachelor's degree in the business college going to work at a big company, getting my MBA and trying to do that whole life. And partway through that, I started to be miserable in that environment. And in a finance role at Boeing, I graduated college in 2008, right before the economic downturn. And so within the first few months, I was seeing layoffs inside my company that I had spreadsheets that had people's. Jobs and livelihoods in in the cells, like basically the numbers of employees at our location were diminishing. So then I kind of had a wake up call and said, okay, do I want to work for a big company my whole life? And then from there, it took me three three and a half years to build up connections and to eventually work with Corbett at Fizzle to do this online business stuff through reading entrepreneurial blogs, learning personal finance to get myself out of debt, so I could make that leap. Yeah, and so on. So, it wasn't this really quick thing. it It's been this ten year journey to figure out what it is I want to do.
0: So wait, I missed something. Did you start your blog while you were still an employee? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. I started it about a year and a half in to working at Boeing, and then about a year and a half later, I left.
0: Gotcha. So. Did you have well? First of all, wh- let's get a timeline here. What mm-hmm. what year was that when you started your blog? And it and it was pocketchange dot com, right?
1: Yes, it was late December two thousand ten.
0: Okay, gotcha. So around two thousand mid two thousand eleven, you left, um, and then you started working with Corbett. And I know that you were doing kind of working with him. Can you describe what you know what you were doing with Corbett? Like what that transition into entrepreneurship was like?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he first hired me part time for six weeks because he was going to be traveling through Europe with his wife, and he wanted to make sure that nothing broke with with Think Traffic, uh, yeah. his website at the time. And so there were things like support email, making sure blog posts went out, uh, making sure course sales went through properly, and doing general admin things for the website and. So that's what I started doing. And then after those six weeks are up, I started working full-time and went into a more uh, production kind of role of actually writing blog posts, sourcing guest posts, editing video interviews that he was doing, uh, helping to build the next course that we created, which was Start a Blog That Matters. And then that snowballed into Chase Reeves coming on to join us and building fizzle which was really really video based and so i just started getting more and more into making videos
0: okay cool so you're working with corbett and eventually you guys make fizzle you corbett and chase was this the first time that you really went all in creating video for courses
1: yeah the video that was inside of uh, start a blog that matters was a lot of screen recordings and there were some interviews and corbett put together a lot of those i helped edit some of them but he was putting together that course so when we were launching fizzle that was kind of my first foray into making different courses inside of fizzle figuring out what lessons needed to be how to film them and put things in them so they're interesting and and working my way through building those so there were a handful that i built for the, the first initial launch of fizzle and then a bunch more that I helped build while I was there,
0: yeah. and I know that you know you're you're a techie guy, so I'm sure that uh, most of the tech wasn't a big problem for you. So what were I'm curious to know what were the biggest challenges you had when you were starting out making courses?
1: One thing is I still wasn't very comfortable on camera yet. I wasn't really me. i haven't I hadn't really relaxed in front of the camera. I was very stiff and and boring. So some of those early courses, the information might be there, but like the delivery is just not something I'm super proud of looking back at it. But I Mm -hmm. think that everyone starts at that level. And then for actually making the courses, I don't have a teaching background. So figuring out what needed to be in the courses and figuring out the best way to deliver that was another thing that had a big learning curve for me.
0: Okay. So how did you overcome cuz those those are two distinct things and they're two big things. You know, people are uncomfortable sometimes being on camera a lot of times actually. So how did you overcome that one?
1: So that one only can happen by doing it, I yeah. think. You only can get better on camera by being on camera, recording yourself, publishing some of them and not publishing others if they're that bad, <laughs> but I think that a few different things. So I had done public speaking in college and so that that did help some but it is entirely different, I think. And then doing calls over the internet I think helps as well, so doing Skype calls where each person has video, you're looking into a camera and then filming things that aren't going to go online just in your life, having someone hold a camera and you talk into it. Yeah. is is helpful too. So more of a vlogging style, but I didn't really do any of that. It was more just get in front of the camera, record, and then get some feedback. So have Corbett and Chase watch it or have my wife watch it and give me some feedback for for how I was doing and just keep pushing myself to do better the next time.
0: Yeah, I think that just as an aside, I think it's, it's one of those things where, like you said, you just have to do it. And there comes this point where you just fall in if that makes any sense, where you're just like, okay, I've done this so many times. This is this is what I want to do. I'm just going to relax. And that is, some magic happens there. I don't know. That's just how I feel about it.
1: Yeah, and I think that even different environments will make you uncomfortable. So I've made hundreds of videos, but the ones that I'm in and on camera of those hundreds, most of them I shot when I was by myself. And that meant no one else was home. No one was behind the, behind the camera. No one was there to give me critiques. So if I messed up, I would just mess up and do it again. And there's a different kind of nerve that happens when someone else is there. And I notice this when I'm filming for clients as well. I try to make them feel as comfortable as possible. But it's still hard when there's another person right there. So I still struggle when I have other people in the room and I am delivering to the camera because I'm most comfortable when I'm just filming by myself. Yeah. But sometimes that's not the case.
0: Cool. So the second challenge that you mentioned was realizing that you didn't have a teaching background and just trying to figure out how you approach the content from a teaching perspective. How did you tackle that one?
1: So we put together, uh, after we started to try to develop these courses, we put together kind of a template that we would open up and fill out for every course so that we weren't just, making courses that didn't have an end goal and didn't have checkpoints along the way for people to learn things. So these templates had, who is the target audience? What will they have learned after uh, completing this course? And then throughout the individual lessons, there were things like, what could someone download as a worksheet and fill out to actually absorb the stuff that you've taught them? What can you put on screen that's going to make this more visually interesting? and engaging for them to watch how can you keep the lessons shorter and not 15 20 minutes long to have them build momentum as they watch some shorter videos and so through that through that template every time we made a course we would make sure that we could focus on okay who's who is this best for what should they be able to accomplish after they finish this and really focus on the learning not just putting a course out on a topic so that it's another thing in the library.
0: Okay. So what did you learn about video for learning? And just in general, what have you learned about using video for a learning purpose that maybe you can share with us?
1: Well, I think one of the biggest things is someone simply talking to the camera isn't the best way for someone to absorb information i I think you have to think of video and teaching and having someone learning it and consuming it similar to being in a classroom and so if you are just talking to a camera and reading off a teleprompter that that really isn't video it's just text you're just you're just reading a textbook it would be the equivalent of a professor in a classroom opening a book standing there in front of a group of a hundred kids and just reading the textbook. There's no additional value gained by them going to class, sitting there and listening to professor read it versus them just reading it. Other than the fact that maybe it's, it's a little more passive to, to watch video and listen to someone talk is more passive than having to read a textbook. So you have to think of other ways within the video to make people retain the information, as well as be entertained throughout it. So to retain the information, those are things like putting text on screen when you say certain things, whether that's in between sections to give them a mental break, which is something we started doing at Fizzle. If it's quotes on screen when you're saying them, if you're listing bullet points of what you're about to cover or just covered, those things come on screen. Those are other visual cues for people to retain the information that you just you just gave them. This would be the equivalent of a professor turning around and writing on a whiteboard when they they say a thought and actually working through a problem live as opposed to seeing the entire math problem printed in the book. So those are kinds of things that you can use to engage with people. Now, one thing that you can't do that you can do in a classroom where you can actually ask questions of your your uh your people in your class online. The equivalent is asking a question at the end of a video and having them comment below in your course, and then you can respond that way. Yeah. So having that dialogue makes the teaching not just a one-way medium, but instead a two-way medium. So you can answer people's questions. As far as entertaining, you have to put things in there that are funny. You have to put in little joke things. You have to sometimes add music or do things with your video transitions like zooming in and out and making them just more engaging so people make it through to the end so if you're only doing talking head videos right now where you look at the camera and you talk for five minutes straight and that's it try to do some more work in editing to make it a little bit more entertaining as well as having people retain that information a little more
0: yeah, I am so glad you said that, because personally, I tend to I struggle with with watching video when I am in a course, because especially if it's really only if it's talking head or just slides, mm-hmm. it just doesn't keep me engaged. And after, you know, a, a couple minutes, I'm just I'm done. But all of the techniques that you mentioned are ones that keep me engaged and interested. So I'm so glad that you talked about those. So one other question I have for you, what are your thoughts on the optimal length of videos and courses?
1: So that's that's always the question it's a big that I, debate. Get. I mean not just for courses but videos in general and there there is a big debate and I think that shorter videos in general and I could put a number on it somewhere between 2 and 5 minutes. Those are the kinds of videos that when I'm watching a course, I end up watching a course for longer because I build the momentum. Yeah. And I feel like when you have some videos that are shorter, then you fill your gaps in your day with them. So if I have a bunch of videos on YouTube or Vimeo and I've marked them to watch later, I will... Sit down and I will start to watch some of the shorter ones just because the barrier to entry is so much lower when you know, okay, I don't need to sit here for 45 minutes to watch this thing. So I try to keep mine as short as possible, but I think there's also something to be said about a little bit longer video if you're going to go in more detail and as long as it's still on that same topic. So I think that anytime you're about to title a video this and this and this, that should be three videos and you should just make them shorter.
0: Okay. So I have to go one level deeper because I'm an advocate. I usually tell people two to eight minutes and like Mm -hmm. that's, that's the max, but it's hard to shoot shorter videos than it is to shoot longer videos in my opinion. So what, Tips? Do you recommend, or do you have just any advice for being able to stay on target within that short time period? It requires you to be super organized. What What do you do to make sure your videos don't go over?
1: Well, I think outlining them first, you know exactly what you want to cover is helpful. You could script them entirely and use a teleprompter, and just know roughly how many words per minute you speak so when you're writing the script you'll know how long that video is going to be and really just try to keep the fluff out of it as much as possible yeah they're the entertaining pieces and you have to give people breaks throughout but using multiple stories to tell the same point might not make sense so keeping it keeping it succinct i think is the biggest thing and yeah they can be longer but you have to think of the, the mindset of the person and that's why i don't really i don't really watch webinars i don't really attend webinars sometimes i'll save them to watch later but it's just one hour commitment is really hard yeah but if they did if it was 10 5 minute videos i'd get through those easily so i think you just have to think about how much you can prepare in advance will really help keep the The lessons that you're making a little bit more succinct, and that's that's really what people are paying for i you know you get emails about why is your course cost this much? I could find it free online on the internet, or there's this other website that has thousands of courses, and I just have to pay two bucks a month and I can get all of them and it's what what the argument there is is I spent the time to figure out what it is. That I think you actually need to know about this topic. And so you're paying for this to actually be shorter in a way. Uh-huh. It takes more effort to make something shorter and succinct than it does to make this 30-hour long course on, on something because you're choosing what's important and what's not, and you're getting to the point. So I think that to answer your question, focusing on the script and the outline, that r- will really help you keep things short and succinct.
0: Yeah, cool. So let's talk about your course. You just launched a course on Adobe Premiere Pro. Can you give us an overview of it?
1: Yeah, so the other course that we have at DIY Video Guy is a video production course. Yep. And I started with that because those are the most questions that I get. How do I film myself? How do I record on Skype and lighting and sound and all that stuff and so we actually updated that course earlier this year before releasing any other course so we put put double effort into one course instead of making another one but then the next thing after you filmed all this stuff is how do you then edit the videos to make them really good and so we went back and forth about whether there should be one course on editing or whether it should be software specific and i think this is actually a really good conversation for this podcast because sometimes you'll want to do something with a course and there's kind of two ways you could go you could go software specific or you could go kind of agnostic Mm -hmm. around whatever you're doing so you could say this course is about web design or you can say this is a web design course for wordpress and so you kind of have to think about how specific your course is going to be. And we felt like a video editing course that was really broad wouldn't be as helpful because it's so dependent on the software you're yeah. using because it's very technical. So so we start, we're starting with Premiere Pro because that's what I use full-time now. And when I surveyed my audience, that was their most used piece of software. So we started with that and we'll probably build more for other pieces of software later. But that's where we're at now.
0: <laughs> it's so funny, and I'm glad that you did this course because personally, I need it. I've had Premiere Pro for a couple years just sitting on my desktop, and I've been so afraid to open it because I have no idea what I'm doing.
1: So. I mean, yeah, video <laughs> editing software can be really scary, and I will still do this with whatever the next piece of software is I want to learn. And it's it always feels like you're walking into a cockpit of a 747 and there's all (laughs) these switches and buttons and you have no idea what anything does and you think you're going to, you're going to crash. But that's, that's what I try to focus on in the course is there is a lot of stuff going on. Let's narrow our focus and only look at the things that matter. And so that's why I did a free course to, to kind of do that introduction for people over, over five videos where, you know, maybe you want to learn Premiere here is a free resource in an hour. You will not be afraid of it. And then if you want to take it further, then there's a paid course. And I think that that structure for me feels the most genuine for for selling is information that's free and makes this thing less scary is available for you if you want it. And then if you want to be a pro at this thing and you're going to use it every day at work, then... And let's, let's invest some time and money into learning it properly.
0: Gotcha. So who's the ideal learner for this course? I know, obviously, someone who wants to learn Premiere Pro, but did you narrow it down in other ways?
1: I mean, my biggest, my biggest thing is people that make videos for the web by themselves. So anyone yeah. that's recording YouTube videos or is recording courses or even if they are, uh, if they do video production and they film other people, there are things throughout this course that help you edit faster because that's the biggest pain point. When I've surveyed my audience, is video editing is frustrating because I either don't understand the software enough, or it just takes me so long. And so, if I'm making a course on some software, that's already going to solve the first problem of figuring out how to use it. But throughout the course, I'm focused on quickly editing so how to use shortcuts that you need to know how to get in and out of selecting b-roll and bringing it down quickly creating your first draft of videos how to give yourself some tips while you're recording to your future editing self all those things are what i'm really focusing at so anyone that makes videos for the web that is frustrated by how long it takes them to edit that's what this course is for
0: Yeah, and you just got into it a little bit, but can you walk us through the course structure starting with how many modules are in the course?
1: Mm -hmm. So there are eight different sections and we start with uh, the basics. So opening up the software, how to actually use it to start a new project and open up a new sequence. Then the next two are basic and advanced video editing where we cover a lot of the things that you'll need to do like importing footage, Setting up your timeline, syncing up video and audio from different devices, getting into transitions, stabilizing footage, a lot of the technical things you'll do in the edit. Then we talk about color correcting and grading your footage. We talk about audio and how to properly set your audio levels inside of Premiere. We talk about syncing up with uh, Adobe Creative Cloud and using things like After Effects to bring in some motion graphics or audition to make your audio sound better. We talk about some external software as well and and there are just a lot of different sections in there. It's about five and a half hours long right now, and we plan to keep adding more lessons to it.
0: Gotcha. What's your process for creating this course? Did it did it differ or did you change anything up compared to what you described earlier?
1: Uh, A little bit because when I I focus on software, it's all about what you need to know and what you need to ignore. And so instead of opening the help menu and just making an outline of everything that they have in that or looking at, you know, a manual for a camera and making a course that is covering every single button, I, I really try to simplify it and say, what's everything that I use in this program? And I've used over the past year, and if I haven't used it in the past year, then it probably doesn't need to be a main part of this course. So figuring out what people need to know and what they can ignore is is where I started.
0: And I know you sent out, well, I guess, let me ask, did you solicit feedback from your audience before you created the course?
1: Yes, so I do try to survey uh, pretty close to when I'm about to start filming the course so I work through what I think should be in the course I make a huge outline with titles of all the videos and the modules and sections and then right before I'm going to actually record any of those I like to survey my audience and ask them some questions about those things and ask them what their struggles are and then after a day or two and most of the responses are in then I'll read through all of those and if I'm not covering Anything that anyone said, I'll try to add a lesson on that specifically. So yeah, I definitely solicit some feedback about, I don't necessarily lay out what go- the course is going to be exactly and then ask people for feedback, but I do try to lead them towards giving me some answers that would help with that.
0: This is really cool because I think you're the first guest who, because this is software, um, I imagine you're going to have some screen screen grabs or screen sharing so do you have any tips for making those, you know, a bit more engaging or is it similar to what you described earlier with having text and other things on the screen?
1: The biggest thing with screen recordings is, you know, if they're if there's slides, then you have to make the slides interesting. You have to have nice font and use transitions and good images and things to make it interesting because you're not on screen to add that element to it. Yeah. What I did for this course, which is different than other ones I've done where in the video production course that we have pretty much every one of those lessons is shot in like a different environment because I'm showing a different element of making videos. So I'm either showing you cameras or lighting or positioning or how to work off a script. And so that course was a lot of work in the filming process and editing process. This one is on software, but I didn't just want it to be boring screen recordings. So At the beginning of each section, as well as at the beginning and end of the course, I filmed a talking head style video to a camera introducing what we're about to talk about and kind of giving people a break of just looking at a screen recording of the software and also helping to see me will make it a little bit more engaging when they're listening to my voice. If they never saw what I looked like, I would just be some random stranger, but having that connection with my face throughout the course is something that will help. Also, we go through and edit the screencast so it's not just you staring at my screen the entire time. We're zooming into elements we're talking about. Sometimes we'll put a little circle around something when I mention it. And even just those two little things make screencasts way more engaging by spending the time inside of ScreenFlow to do those little zoom-ins and focus in on what we're talking about, zooming back out. and, And that just helps a little bit more.
0: Yeah, definitely. Cool. So thanks for sharing that. I want to try something a little bit different. Let's say I'm starting from scratch with video and I'm really nervous. I don't know anything about it. Where should I start if I want to make a video course with regards to equipment recommendations and just how to approach shooting videos?
1: So I recommend if you've never shot videos and you're specifically looking to make a course Is to record your screen first and then the next step would be record yourself on a webcam and then after that progress to filming yourself on camera. Because I think if if you're literally at ground zero and you've never recorded a video in your entire life, your delivery of your voice is really important. And so starting with a screen recording will help you just focus on talking and presenting that way without the pressure of being on camera next using your webcam is way less pressure because it's just built in. You've probably used it before to Skype or FaceTime with somebody and it's way less intimidating and you don't have to buy a bunch of equipment. Then you can progress to maybe a nicer webcam and using some lights to make your setup look better. And then you can keep going down the rabbit hole of buying equipment and making your videos look really good
0: yeah it is a rabbit hole. there's so there's so much that you can buy and so many things out there. And uh, we'll be sure to link to your site so people can see your recommendations, which are super helpful. so we we would kind of it wouldn't be right to talk about video without doing a quick question about audio. is Are there any tips on just having better audio for video in your courses?
1: Yeah, if you're using a webcam or doing screen recording, looking into a good podcasting microphone is probably the best way to go because you, you're you mainly just your voice. And even if you're on a webcam, you can place it just off into the corner or even visible on screen. It's not that big a deal for people to, when they're watching a little webcam video, see someone's podcasting microphone. But specifically for doing a screen recording course like the one we just did, I recorded on this microphone I'm on right now because. I wanted the best sound quality and there was no recording of me during that section. So I didn't need to worry about hiding it at all. So whatever microphone you have, that's the best use that one and people will kind of deal if it's in the shot a little bit for when you're doing webcam recording. So that would be my recommendation. I started off with a blue Yeti and then I progressed to having uh, an actual podcasting. XLR microphone that ran into a mixer and things. So right now I use a Shure SM7B and it goes into a Focusrite Scarlett 18i8, and then there's a DBX 286S. So I'm talking into seven or eight hundred dollars worth of equipment versus I started with just a hundred dollar microphone. So yeah, it, it it is a rabbit hole, but you <laughs> you can you can up the quality of your stuff that way. And so I always tell people that are getting started, I didn't start with the equipment I have and neither will you. And so start with what you have, whether that's your phone or your webcam and your Apple headset and work your way up from there.
0: Yeah, I, I have spent hours researching microphones. It's just, it it can get ridiculous. It really can. So yeah, the the Blue Yeti is, is what I started with as well. And um, I really... Love the shore, and then a lot of people recommend the uh, the heel microphone as well. So we're down to the final three questions, Caleb. First one is what's next for you? Anything exciting coming up?
1: Well, we just launched the course uh, yesterday as of yeah. recording this, so we're excited to get feedback on it from people that go through it and and keep making it better. I think that that's something that a lot of people don't do when they make courses is encourage that feedback loop whether that's a, a timed email that goes out 2 to 4 weeks after someone buys or you just send a survey to all your buyers at one point whatever you do to to get that feedback from people to make your course better is is definitely worth it because i know when i was in school i i gave feedback for courses i was in in college occasionally if i felt like there were parts that could have been taught better or there were parts that (laughs) didn't need to be covered and things like that and i i am not a traditional teacher but when i receive feedback like that it's super helpful to get an outside opinion on something and so i think that that's kind of the next step for us is once a course is out there let's see what people think maybe see what things they really liked you can see what people have watched and which ones they skipped ahead in. And, and those are kinds of feedback that, that you need.
0: Yeah. And I love that you do that because there are some people who don't pay attention to the feedback. Uh, but it's always just heartening to hear entrepreneurs who care about that and actually use it to implement the next iteration. So kudos to you for, for listening to the feedback. So next question, where can people find out more about you, Caleb?
1: You can find out the most about me at DIYVideoGuy.com. There are links to courses there and uh, even to check out our video production work as well with my production company. But everything lives at DIY Video Guy.
0: Gotcha. Last question. What's your why? Why do you get up and do this work every day?
1: Because of how many tutorials I've had to go and try to find out how to do something, I'm really just trying to build the best place for anyone that wants to learn video stuff, and and that's what gets me going. Really, I know that Matthew McConaughey gave this speech uh, when he won an Oscar a year or two ago about how his his uh, his role model was himself in ten years, and mine's kind of the opposite, where I work for myself ten years ago to try to help that person, and so or even five years ago, or one year ago, or one week ago, just trying to help someone else uh, do the things that I try to do as well.
0: Beautiful. Love it. Thank you so much for being here, Caleb. I think this is going to be super valuable, and I'm just happy to have had you on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Welcome to the outro. Listen, I hope you got some great tips from my chat with Caleb. Remember, you can find him at diyvideoguy.com or just check out the show notes for the link. Ochi dochi, it's time for the recap. So, this is something that I started uh, last episode. Just want to do a quick recap of the three my top three takeaways from the interview. So, my top three from what Caleb shared were number one, camera comfort takes time. If you are shooting videos and you feel like, uh, maybe, you know, it just doesn't look the way that you want it to look. If you feel stiff, you know, take it from me and take it from Caleb. That is normal. It's going to take time for you to warm up. So just don't worry about it. Don't worry about perfection. Just worry about getting it done. But Some of the things that Caleb said, which I thought were really helpful, were just to solicit feedback. You know, don't try to improve on your own. Ask other people to take a look at your videos and give you some feedback. It's always good to get a second opinion. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, keep it short this is kind of a twofer. So keep it short, but also outline, outline, outline. So Caleb and I kind of have slightly different time guidelines. He thinks that video should be two to five minutes. I give you a little bit of extra time and I say two to eight minutes. Again, it just kind of depends on what feels right to you. There's no hard and fast rule, but the general rule that does exist is anything that's over, you know, that's like nine minutes or more, 10 minutes or more people start to tune out. That's not what you want. You want to try to keep it concise and succinct. So to do that, one of the things that both Caleb and I recommend is you outline, 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 you know, make an outline of what your learners need to get out of this video. Don't just shoot it and start talking, give yourself, you know, have a script But before you script it, outline it and just make sure that you hit all of the key points that you need to for that particular topic. The other thing that Caleb said that I thought was really helpful is don't try to squeeze too many topics into one video. You know, if you're getting to the point where you have three topics, four or five topics in a video, then you probably want to break those up into shorter videos. Okay. So that's number two. Number three was use your best microphone. So the mic that Caleb and I both started off on was the Blue Yeti. In fact, that's the microphone that you're listening to right now. It's what I'm recording this episode on. I am upgrading to a different microphone, but I think the Yeti is a great starter mic. It's about $100 and it gives you just really great audio quality and it allows you to record audio in different environments. There's different settings for different rooms. But anyway, that's a, that's something entirely different. I will throw some links to different mics that are at various price points in the show notes. The main thing I want you to remember is audio trumps video. So you might think when you're shooting videos that the quality of your video is what's most important. That's not true. People will forgive you're not having the best shot or camera. You know, I don't mean anything crazy, but if it's not, you know, as crisp as what you might see from some pro level videographers, that's okay as long as you have quality audio. It's really hard to listen to bad audio when you're watching or listening to anything. So invest in your audio if you don't have the best camera. And remember, you can always rent a camera. You don't have to run out and buy a camera, but do buy your own microphone. Okay, so once again, I will post some links to mics from $50 on up in the show notes. Speaking of the show notes, I should probably tell you where to find those. That might be helpful. Just head over to zencourses.co forward slash 019 to find them. Again, all the links mentioned in the episode are there. That's ZenCourses.co slash zero one nine. That's for episode 19. And you'll find everything that I've mentioned and everything that Caleb mentioned in the episode. Okay. Before we wrap up, are you struggling with how to price your online course? If you're creating a course, you probably are because I've gotten a lot of emails from you asking me just that very question. So this week I published Uh, part one of an article on just that, how to price your online course. And you can find it on the blog at zencourses.co. Go ahead and check it out. There's some good info, some funny pictures to help you figure out how to price because it's actually a pretty complex science. If you want to be the first to hear about part two and my upcoming pricing guide that I'm putting together for you, join the course crew. Yeah, I said it, the course crew. That's what I'm calling all of the cool people signed up for my mailing list. The easiest way to join us is to go to zencourses.co forward slash newsletter. Join the course crew and stop missing out on all things awesome. Come on, join the family. If you can't remember the link, just go to zencourses.co, not.com and sign up there. All right. It is that time. As always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me and giving me some of your time today. I truly appreciate it. I do not take it for granted. I will see you next week. I'm Janelle Allen, and this has been The Zen Courses Show. Have a great day.